2: On News Radio 680
3: WPTF. And I'm Doug Lewis, Certified Financial Planner. And I'm Deborah Lewis, Certified Financial Planner. And we're here to answer your questions for the next hour. Sam, this is Doug Lewis. How can I help you?
4: My brother and I are in the dairy business, and we're in the process of selling out within the next couple of years. And I was just wondering, is there any way to avoid? I know you probably can't avoid all taxes, but is there a way to avoid a lot of the taxes?
0: Well, let me see. Give me some of the numbers, and I may be able to give you some wonderful news. I've actually uh, done uh, a number of these where we have saved hundred percent of the taxes. Right. But tell me a little bit about what we're talking about, Sam. How? Um, give me some numbers.
4: If we sold the whole herd of cows and heifers and everything, we're probably bring in the state of one hundred twenty-five to one hundred fifty thousand. All right, one hundred
0: twenty-five to one hundred fifty thousand right. for the cows,
4: right. and that's cows and heifers by the whole thing.
0: Cows and the heifers, okay. How is it owned right now? The farm is it owned straight outright? As a,
4: a partnership with my, with my brother.
0: It's a partnership. Fifty-fifty. All right, and so you all filing your tax return a partnership tax return. Yes, yes. Okay, general partnership. Yes, all right. All right, and uh, you'll be selling the cows and the heifers, or selling the land, or what will you just, be? Just
4: the cows and heifers only. All
0: right, that's what you want to sell.
4: Just the cows. We'll and right. now. The land and all the equipment.
0: All right, now what's the basis in the animals themselves?
4: Well, there probably is no basis because they're home-raised cattle. All right. So we take the Cost of raising them off as we uh, as we raise them, the home raised cows probably don't have a basis on it. All
0: right. How old are you, Sam? I'm sixty-one. You're sixty-one years old. Married or single? I'm married. Married. All right. What's your income aside from the cows? Uh,
4: we have some investments.
0: All right. What uh, are well, the in- and my wife works. All right. How much is your wife's income? Uh, her
4: income is about twenty-five thousand.
0: All right. Wife's income is twenty-five thousand. And what are the in- tell me a little bit about your investment portfolio? Okay,
4: we've got uh, mutual funds.
0: How much mutual funds uh, do you have?
4: Probably about 15,000 mutual funds.
0: All right, not a bunch.
4: No, that they're about 50,000 in stock. Then maybe, I think maybe about 7,500 7, in CD in the bank.
0: And that's about it. That's
4: about, basically about All,
0: all right. It. Do you know what your living expenses are running you, Sam?
4: Uh, My wife, I have uh, just, just two of us now. My daughter's grown. Probably in a 10,000 to twelve. All
0: right. So you're saying you could actually live off your wife's income?
4: Basically, right. Yeah, right.
0: Well, now that's very interesting because then you have an even better opportunity. Here's what you can do. You can go ahead and set up what we call a wealth preservation trust. This is a charitable remainder unit trust. It's a great tool. It's it's what we call the special edge because it will let you transfer the animals into this trust, first of all. Right. Then the trust can sell those cows and heifers tax-free. There will be the entire $150,000 cash and pay no capital gains tax whatsoever. But the key to this thing is who runs the show. And that, do you know what that person is called, by the way?
4: No, sir. No, sir no.
0: That person is called the trustee.
4: Okay, okay, right. The trustee.
0: Now, the trustee runs the trust. And I want you to be the trustee. So you will basically be giving the cows from yourself as the owner to yourself as trustee of this trust. right? You're basically giving them from your right pocket to your left pocket. right? The only difference is now they're owned in this trust and this trust is a tax-free trust because at your death, and you can let this trust, by the way, run until both you and your wife die. After both of y'all die, then what's left in this trust needs to go to some sort of charitable foundation or charitable institution or university or whatever. But during your lifetime, The trustee, namely yourself, will be instructed to pay all income to the income beneficiaries, also yourself. Right. So we have here a split interest gift where basically, if you think of it in terms of chickens and eggs, you're agreeing to give away the chickens after you and your wife die, but you want to keep all the eggs for the rest of your lives. Right. And this trust is like the chicken house. We're going to put these chickens in this chicken house, and the key here is, who runs the chicken house? I want you guys to be your own trustee.
3: Call me, Deborah Lewis, certified financial planner at Lewis Financial Management. 919-872-7000. 919-872-7000. That is, uh,
0: perfectly legitimate. This, this type of trust has been around since 1964, uh, 69, excuse me. It's a, it's one of the least known financial planning tools out there, but The reason that people don't hear about them a lot is because they're promoted by universities and charities where they say to you, set up a charitable trust and we'll be the trustee. Right. Well, see, that makes it a little awkward for me as a financial planner. I don't like you giving up control during your lifetime.
4: Right. You you see Uh, what I'm saying? I, I know what you mean.
0: In other words, if you think about this, Sam, there's a certain thing called social capital. If you think of your capital, your capital is everything that you've accumulated but social capital is the part of your wealth that you're not allowed to keep. Right. For example, as you think about your estate, you can see it really has two parts to it. There's the personal financial capital, which is the part that you enjoy during your life and you pass on to your heirs. That's the part you keep. But the second part, the part that you're not allowed to keep, that's the part we call social capital because it's destined by law to go to social uses beyond your own family to support education, social services, and things like that. But typically most people give up their social capital in the form of taxes and let it go at that. But what most people don't realize is you don't have to give up control of that. You are allowed by law to control that social capital, even though you can't keep it. And that gives you tremendous control. There are lots of ways you can use this thing to where you can max it out to the, to the, to, to the, to the fullest. Right. It also, in your particular case, would work very nicely because if you don't take out of it, it will grow tax-free what's in it. Okay, so, right. So benefit number one to you is you'll save capital gains tax. So the whole 100, 150000 will be working for you. Benefit number two is it will grow in there tax-free for as long as you want, just like an IRA or a retirement plan. And that will be very powerful. That can grow to be a million dollars over your lifetime.
4: Actually, could this? Uh, can, could you draw off of this trust if you need the money?
0: Yes, indeed. As a matter of fact, you you set it up in such a way that you instruct the trustee how to pay you. Right. And you can you can get very creative with this. But the best part, not the best part, but there's a third benefit that I'd like two more benefits I'd, I'd like to tell you about with this charitable trust. The next benefit is you get an income tax deduction this year for putting the cows into the trust. You get a tax deduction for putting the cows in the trust. Then the trust sells the cows and you avoid all the capital gains tax. That's tax benefit. Number two, then during your lifetime, it grows tax-free until you take it out. That's benefit tax benefit. Number three. And not only that at your death, it avoids all the taxes. Tax benefit. Number four, do you have children, Sam? I have One daughter, one daughter, One thing some people do if they're concerned about the children, they set up a second trust to have a life insurance policy in it that pays off at the time that the first trust ends. Okay, right. We call that a wealth replacement trust. So typically, in a case like this, you go in and you give the cows to one trust, you put the insurance in the second trust, and now it runs for the rest of your lives. At the time that both you and your wife have passed away, then What's left in the charitable trust goes to the charity, and the insurance passes tax-free to your daughter. Okay, right. If you will go ahead and call my office during the week, my wife, Linda, can go ahead and send you some more information about how to set these up. And that number to
2: call is eight seven two seven thousand. That's USA 7000 in Raleigh.
0: And anytime you want, you can set up a meeting to meet with me, Sam. Enjoyed talking with you. It's in my pleasure. Thank you, Baba. What is a real financial plan?
2: A real financial plan is a true financial roadmap. Your financial roadmap should have thirteen sections.
0: Section one should have all your personal data.
2: Section two should cover your goals, your objectives, in realistic time frames.
0: Section three should identify issues and problems to be addressed in your financial roadmap.
2: Section four should list all assumptions used in your financial roadmap, such as inflation, investment growth and yield.
0: Section five is your balance sheet, an analysis which includes your assets, your liabilities, and a calculation of your net worth.
2: Section six covers cash flow management, an analysis of your income, expenses, surplus or shortfall, and how to handle your margin.
0: Section seven is income taxes. Are you paying too much or too little tax? What about your deductions and your credits?
2: Section 8 covers life insurance, health insurance, nursing care insurance, and disability. Are you carrying the proper amount of insurance? And are you paying too much for what you have?
0: Section 9 is investments. What's the proper investment portfolio for you? Which investments do you keep? Which to reposition? What about liquidity, risk tolerance, and diversification?
2: Section 10 is financial independence or retirement planning. Can you retire when you want to retire?
0: Will you be able to make it? Section 11 covers your estate, how to leave your estate with the lease taxes and cost to your heirs using wills and trust.
2: Section 12 is the recommendation section for your financial roadmap.
0: And Section 13 is an implementation schedule, what to do and when to do it. So there you have it, the 13 sections that you should have in a real financial plan. It's your roadmap to your financial future, and you need to have one. Seek competent financial advice. And if you have any financial questions, call me at 872-7000. That's 872-7000. And remember, your financial future is at stake.
2: Well, Doug, what's new in the area of retirement planning?
0: Well, people want to know when should they start saving for retirement.
2: Well, you know, Doug, the sooner the better. And if you start early enough, setting aside even a small amount each month, you can accumulate substantial savings in the long run, because of the compounding of investment earnings.
0: That's a good point, Linda. As an example, someone, let's say, who's 35 years old, if they begin investing only $200 a month, and if they only get 8% for the next 30 years, when they're 65, that $200 a month will accumulate a nest egg of almost a third of a million dollars.
2: That's $300,000. Right. If you start... 10 years earlier, right? what's going to happen?
0: You know what's going to happen then? That same $200 a month will grow to be $700,000. That's close to three quarters of a million dollars just starting 10 years earlier at only $200 a month. However, on the flip side, for every 10 years that you delay setting aside money for retirement, you're going to have to save three times as much to reach your nest egg goal. You know, that sounds easy, doesn't it, Doug? It sounds easy, but unfortunately, most people put off planning for their retirement until just before retirement. A study done by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services showed that only one out of 100 people retire wealthy. Only four out of 100 are financially secure. 20 out of 100 have to keep on working, and almost 50 of them relied on Social Security as their main source of income.
2: Some people do wonder, Doug, won't Social Security and and their pension be enough to supply
0: them in retirement? Well, Lynn, unfortunately, I have to tell you, it probably will not. Social Security, a pension, a small savings account used to be enough for people because they only lived a few years beyond retirement. But now people are commonly retired living 25 or more years. And retirement has become a whole new stage of life. So for
2: people earning 60000 for example, Social Security will make up only 34% of their income. Right. Well,
0: Doug, you know, other people wonder,
2: how much money will I need for retirement?
0: And I'm glad that people are asking that question. Unfortunately, they don't know how to get the answer. But how much money will you need? The traditional rule of thumb says people need 60 to 80% of their pre-retirement income to maintain that lifestyle after retirement. But that may not be enough if you plan to travel a lot or if you anticipate high medical costs or any other above-average expenses.
2: So basically, a certified financial planner can assist you with your retirement objectives and also help you calculate exactly how much you'll need to live on each month over your expected retirement lifetime. And let's say you live to be 90 or even 100 years old. Uh, And along with that, uh, we'd want to take into account the taxes and inflation.
0: You know, Lynn, it's interesting you should mention the uh, the age 80 or 90 or 100 because we do have clients who
3: uh, are getting up uh, in the uh, 80 and beyond age. If you'd like further information, call us at 919-872-7000 or go to our website, DougAndLinda.com. That's DougAndLinda.com.
2: Let's use an example. Let's say that you had uh, some folks that were in their 40s. now. Well, I And can, let's say that their expenses were maybe around in the
0: 50s. I can do that because actually, Linda, uh, it wasn't long ago that I was actually working on a case for real clients, and that was their story. They were in their uh, late 40s, and their expenses were in the 50s, and uh, they had the opportunity to take retirement, but they wanted to know, could they make it? Well, I had to, first of all, build an inflation pattern on their living expenses, and then I had to go ahead and look at would their assets be able to cover that? The shocking thing was that when I ran their expenses up over and I went all the way up to age a hundred to be worst case, you know, to see how bad uh, their need might grow to be. Right. Right. Would you realize, would you believe that they were going to have to spend almost $6 million in that lifetime? And you might think, well, Gee, we used a big inflation factor on their living expenses. Do you know how much I used? How much? Only 3%. Only 3% inflation on their living expenses. Starting now at a lifestyle of 50,000, if they were to retire, they will spend $5.8 million if they live to be 100. Now, they may not live to be 100, but the point is always you have to plan that you're going to live a lot longer than your parents did.
2: So basically, where does one start? In in planning for retirement.
0: You have to start by discussing your retirement goals with a certified financial planner. You want to ask questions like what kind of retirement you envision and do you want to retire early or will you likely work at least part time beyond age 65 as some people are doing.
2: And you also want to think about whether you're going to be planning to travel around the world or just dig in the garden. Uh, You might have some thoughts about starting your own business and also how is your health? Uh, Do you plan to move when you retire?
0: And what other financial goals you have besides retirement? You know, the non-financial issues can be as important as the financial decisions when it comes to determining financial strategies. Anyway, once you've got all your goals in mind, then the financial planner will look at your net worth, which is a fancy word for everything you own minus everything you owe, and also your current and your projected expenses. And he should also look at sources of income. Then, of course, the planner will determine the total value of all your assets and estimate rates of return on your different investments, including your retirement plans.
2: And so by looking at all of this, uh, along with adjusting for taxes and inflation, then you'll be able to see how much more, if any, that you will need to set aside to meet your retirement goals. Right. Doug, people also wonder, is there a risk that they'll run out of money?
0: You know, the older you get, the more that, we- that fear seems to happen. And if you don't plan ahead, you may end up living on only Social Security. The biggest enemy of retirement is inflation. Over time, even a modest inflation can silently rob the hard-earned and hard-saved dollars of their value, and you can run out of money.
2: For those of you that are young, listen well. Because if you do not accumulate these savings over your lifetime, what may happen when you get to be in your sixties, seventies, and eighties? Uh, your your children may need to support you, right, Doug?
0: That's exactly it. Uh, we've seen some
2: cases where because the assets weren't there,
0: we know some sad. They're cases going to be depleting. Fam- and, families have to pitch in, right? Children will have to help mom and dad. Well, there are several options that people can do to make their retirement dollars last. They can reduce their monthly expenses now to free up money to invest so they can try to increase their investment income so later on they won't fall into those dilemmas. This
3: is Deborah Lewis, Certified Financial Planner at Lewis Financial Management. Our number at the office is 919-872-7000. Call me at 919-872-7000.
0: Well, Joyce, this is Doug Lewis, Certified Financial Planner. How can I help you?
5: Uh, Doug, uh, this has to do with estate state taxes in relation to a retirement uh, principal. Of all right, a half million dollars. Mm-hmm. Now, it's my husband. Uh, if I die first, there's no question. But if my husband dies first, it would be taxed in his estate. My question is... All right,
0: let's go back for a second. What kind of a retirement plan is it?
5: Uh, it? Well, it was a 403. It's all set up already.
0: It's a 403B plan?
5: Uh-huh. Mm-hmm.
0: And has he already retired? Is it his or yours?
5: It's his, and he's retired one year.
0: All right. Now, has he taken a rollover?
5: Nope. It's an annuity.
0: So he's already started to annuitize.
5: That's right. We're getting a monthly payment. Okay. We took the full payment for two lives, for both our lives, with a 20-year guarantee. Now, the question I have in mind is, uh, if he should die first... Will it Then I will be the second annuitant and I will get the monthly payment. Will it be included in my estate, the value of it?
0: Well, it depends. There are two ways that it can be answered, and one is not a tax question. One is an annuity question by the company who is behind it, the insurance company.
4: Mm-hmm.
0: If you had taken the money mm-hmm. as a rollover, right. which... Uh, I wish I had advised you because I would have advised you definitely not to annuitize, but to take the money as a rollover. First of all, you no longer have a half a million dollar 403B plan. That's correct. All right. So we can forget the half a million. But
5: it goes down gradually.
0: No, no, no. No, it doesn't go down at all. You have an income stream. You've given up the chickens and you've got the eggs. That's the difference. Once you have annuitized, you no longer have a principal. You have an income stream and you've chosen to have an income stream lasting for at least 20 years that's correct so what this means is if it lasts for 20 years then it can go longer than 20 years until the second one dies until that until that time there is no taxable amount in the estate because it's an income stream if you both were to die this year
5: Mm -hmm.
0: then not his estate Especially if he, it depends what he has in his will, of course, If he but let's just, let's take it very simply. In your estate, there would be a, there could be a computation, again, depending on how the insurance policy is written. It could be a discounted value of that income stream. In other words, let's say there's 19 years left of payments. Mm-hmm. Well, we add up how much that income is, how much those 19 are, and then we total them and we discount them back to find out what amount of money invested today at a normal interest rate would equal that and that could be the way that the estate has it in the estate tax
5: that is what would happen if he dies first
0: if he died first and you died second that's right
5: yes so but then my my real question is if i die second now when we set it up and the insurance company agreed to this it's revocable i cannot be changed as the second annuitant and our children cannot be changed as the beneficiary and we did that so that technically I don't have any other uh, control over this, and therefore, we think it shouldn't be taxable, whatever there is, in my estate, and and am I right or wrong, do you know?
0: Joyce, uh, I have two answers for you. The first answer is a suggestion that you jot down the following phone number. Okay. Mm -hmm. 872-7000. Okay. Now, that's my office phone number. And if you will call the office during the week and speak to Linda, she will set up an appointment for you and myself to get together. And then you can bring me the insurance contract where I can analyze because I'm speaking without knowing exactly how the contract is written. But the way that you have described it is a typical way. It must be irreversible. As a matter of fact, almost never can you make a a reversible decision on the annuitant Uh and on the beneficiary. So, once you set up something, it must be irreversible unless there is something unusual allowed in your contract. I need really to have the contract in front of me and then together you and I will go over it and I will call the insurance company and get the answers for you.
5: Oh, I appreciate that. I'll do it.
0: Thank you very much for calling, Joyce. You bet. All right. Bye-bye now.
3: This is Deborah Lewis. Call 919-872-7000. To set an appointment with me regarding your financial situation, call me at 919-872-7000. Well, Joyce, this is
0: Doug Lewis, Certified Financial Planner. How can I help you?
5: Hi, uh, Doug. Uh, this has to do with estate taxes in relation to a retirement uh, principal. of All right. a half million dollars. Mm-hmm. Now, it's my husband. Uh, if I die first, there's no question. But if my husband dies first, it would be taxed in his estate. My question is... All right,
0: let's go back for a second. What kind of a retirement plan is it?
5: Well, it it was a 403. It's all set up already.
0: It's a 403B plan? Uh Mm-hmm. And has he already retired? Is it his or yours?
5: It's his, and he's retired one year.
0: All right, now has he taken a rollover?
5: Nope. It's an annuity.
0: So he's already started to annuitize.
5: That's right. We're getting a monthly payment. Okay. We took the full payment for two lives, for both our lives with a 20-year guarantee. Now, the question I have in mind is, uh, if he should die first, will it, will it then I will be the second annuitant and I will get the monthly payment. Will it be included in my estate, the value of it?
0: Well, it depends. There are two ways that it can be answered, and one is not a tax question. One is an annuity question by the company who is behind it, the insurance company. Mm-hmm. If you had taken the money, As a rollover, right? which uh, I wish I had advised you because I would have advised you definitely not to annuitize, but to take the money as a rollover. First of all, you no longer have a half a million dollar 403B plan. That's correct. All right. So we can forget the half a million.
5: But it goes down gradually.
0: No, no, no. No, it doesn't go down at all. You have an income stream. You've given up the chickens and you've got the eggs. That's the difference. Once you have annuitized, you no longer have a principal. You have an income stream and you've chosen to have an income stream lasting for at least 20 years that's correct so what this means is if it lasts for 20 years then it can go longer than 20 years until the second one dies until that until that time there is no taxable amount in the estate because it's an income stream if you both were to die this year Mm -hmm. then not his estate Especially if he, it depends what he has in his will, of course. If he But let's just, uh, let's take it very simply. In your estate, there would be a, there could be a computation, again, depending on how the insurance policy is written, it could be a discounted value of that income stream. In other words, let's say there's 19 years left of payments. Mm-hmm. Well, we add up how much that income is, how much those 19 are, and then we total them and we discount them back to find out what amount of money invested today at a normal interest rate would equal that, and that could be the way that the estate has it in the estate tax.
5: That is what would happen if he dies first.
0: If he died first and you died second, that's right.
5: Yes. So, but then my, my real question is, if I die second, now when we set it up and the insurance company agreed to this, it's revocable. I cannot be changed as the second annuitant and our children cannot be changed as the beneficiary. And we did that so that technically... I don't have any other uh, control over this, and therefore, we think it shouldn't be taxable, whatever there is, in my estate. And and am I right or wrong? Do you know?
0: Joyce, uh, I have two answers for you. The first answer is a suggestion that you jot down the following phone number. Okay. Mm -hmm. 872-7000. Okay. Now, that's my office phone number. And if you will call the office during the week and speak to Linda, she will set up an appointment for you and myself to get together and then you can bring me the insurance contract where I can analyze because I'm speaking without knowing exactly how the contract is written. But the way that you have described it is a typical way it must be irreversible. As a matter of fact, almost never can you make a a reversible decision on the annuitant Uh and on the beneficiary. So once you set up something, it must be irreversible unless there is something unusual allowed in your contract. I need really to have the contract in front of me and then together you and I will go over it and I will call the insurance company and get the answers for you.
5: Oh, I appreciate that. I'll do it.
0: Thank you very much for calling, Joyce. You bet. All right. Bye-bye now.
3: This is Deborah Lewis. Call 919-872-7000. To set an appointment with me regarding your financial situation, call me at 919-872-7000. One of the new problems that's coming to light, Doug and Linda, uh, was highlighted in an article in one of the Financial Times. And it it really does um, highlight what we have been seeing in our office, which is, you know, this empty nest syndrome producing an empty pocket syndrome. Yeah,
0: that's really something if you think about it. And I understand that when children leave the nest, a lot of parents are going to celebrate. Celebrate no more paying for braces, no more piano lessons, no more college tuition. And how do they celebrate? They splurge on themselves. But a new study does indicate that this spending spree can last for years, keeping many empty nesters from actually a retirement saving And that's sort of scary because households are not increasing their savings very much after the kids are gone.
3: Yeah, on average, over eight years following the departure of the last child, empty nesters increase their savings in tax-deferred 401k retirement accounts by just under one percentage point of income. Isn't that terrible? That really is. Um, but you know what? It's what we see a lot of and it's one of the quick fixes that we can take care of is just to refocus people. That's right. Because... Uh, that is true. Because mm-hmm. without this, you're at risk of being unable to maintain your standard of living after you stop working and nobody wants that.
0: That's right. That's right. For for empty nesters, the urge to splurge is understandable. Yes, it is. Families with incomes of 106000 or more spend an average of 20 000 to 25000 a year for each child under the age of 18. So with children off on their own, money now may be going out for travel, for buying a new car, fixing up the house for those projects you never did. And there's often a long list of these pent up projects, updating the kitchen, the bathroom, landscaping, and so forth. And, you know, it's sort of scary because the average cost of the empty nester's client's home improvements is now up to $35,000 And unfortunately, it might roll from one project to another. Yeah.
3: Some uh, empty nesters continue to spend on their adult children, and that even exacerbates the situation more. So, Doug, Linda, what can you do?
2: Well, it's very important to compile a budget for consumers based on their past spending and their spending patterns. And then we need to alert them. When they're in danger of exceeding their specific thresholds. So, Doug, you were talking earlier uh, to the last caller about uh, requi- uh not required minimum distribution, the RMEs. <laughs> That's right. The, Knowing uh, what your expenses are. Exactly. You got to know what are your those recurring monthly expenses. You're paying your mortgage. You're paying the utilities. You
0: got to pay for water and sewer. And once you've got that down and got your RMEs, then you start You're making your saving automatic. You schedule transfers from your bank straight to your brokerage firm or to your mutual fund using what we call a pay-yourself-first plan, setting up automated transfers months before you become the empty nester is going to help you uh, transition from the Uh, stage of not having the empty nest to having the empty nest and all of a sudden you're going to be increasing your chance of reaching financial independence absolutely
3: call me deborah lewis certified financial planner at lewis financial management call me at 919-872-7000 919-872-7000 well what else is new in the world of cash flow planning (laughs) y'all well well you know where we are (laughs) north carolina you know, there are some tips that are often given out there and, and U.S. News um, had a good list. But what intrigued me about this was some of the the list was just merely about, and I pulled it out, perks on improving your finances because good habits enhance your life long before you decide to retire. And many have been working Hard to speed up their their journey towards financial freedom for the better part of their career. So, if you're listening, you might want to know. There are uh, ways, if you're on your way to early retirement, that alone feels good. But pursuing financial independence is worth all the effort. And there are many side benefits along the way. So, here are some of the perks. You learn how to invest more efficiently. I know this is many of our clients' experience. Once you start to save, compound interest will do much of the work of building wealth on your behalf. Isn't that
0: interesting? That you don't have to wait to get the benefit because there is a benefit along the way. Over time, you can find other ways to help your wealth grow faster. You know, you become an active investor. Uh, interested in beating indexes or markets by choosing mutual fund managers who have track records of beating indexes. So you are increasing your knowledge about investing uh, along the way, and this helps boost your returns along the way.
3: That's right. You feel more relaxed about work. When you've saved enough money to sustain your lifestyle, you have the freedom to quit your job whenever it gets too stressful or irritating. Unless you work for your parents. (laughs) The freedom to walk away from a job you dislike begins well before you have enough money to permanently retire. And that's great. A lot of our clients say that. You know, when you know that your family won't need to downgrade their lifestyle if you leave a position, then you know, you've already saved enough so that even if you didn't have enough to retire, you would have enough to move on. And, and this is the benefit of not living paycheck to paycheck. You won't feel the pressure to accept just any job. You'll be able to choose a job that you really want to work at.
0: Yes, so you've got these perks. These perks like learning how to invest more efficiently, yes, indeed, and feeling more relaxed about work, yes, indeed, and then a third perk is that your confidence will grow along with your nest egg. Financial freedom starts to enter your life long before you're fully financially independent. When you're on your way toward building a nest egg, you'll feel less upset about little setbacks because you know you can easily make it up. And this ability to remain positive when encountering the challenges that are going to seep in uh, to your life, it spills over positively to your relationship, strengthening the bonds between you and those that you care
3: about. That's right. Reaching financial freedom can take years of disciplined savings, but you get to reap the rewards long before you officially retire. So in conclusion, the role of your financial planner
2: is to encourage you in monitoring your progress And reminding you of what your goals are that you established in the beginning
3: after all, right? Perfectly said, Linda. This is Deborah Lewis of Lewis Financial Management. Call us at 919-872-7000 to speak about your situation and to set up an appointment. 919-872-7000. Pat, how can I help you?
6: Yes, uh, I hold a mortgage on my child's home. Okay. And,
3: and when you say
0: you hold the mortgage, you are the lender? Yes. Okay.
6: And um I was I'm interested now in making out a will and at the time of my when my husband and I die, uh-huh. I would like that mortgage to be forgive, forgiven, not mm. to be included in inheritance any balance. Do uh-huh. you understand what I
0: mean? Right.
6: And uh I would like to know how to go about doing that. I have no idea how.
0: Let me ask you a question. First of all, how many children do you have, Pat? Two. You have two children. Yeah. All right. And how are you leaving your estate? Who are the, how, how does your will read right now? We don't have one right now. Ooh, ooh bad, bad news.
6: <laughs> That's why I'm trying to set one
0: up right very, now. Very good girl. That's a naughty, naughty, naughty. We should not be around walking around with no no wills today. Okay. Especially, And you're very right, because right now, the laws of intestacy. Now, I presume you said you said we. So I presume you're married. Yeah. OK. Right now, the laws of intestacy would go ahead and govern your estate if you died. But the first question comes, how much do you own versus how much do your husband own? Do you want it all to go to your husband and then to your children and so forth? If you die, do you want the mortgage to continue to be paid to your husband? Yes. Yeah. All right, so you don't mean at your death. You mean at your husband and your death. Right. Okay. You need to go ahead and set up. First of all, you have to have a will. Right. Second of all, you do want to go ahead. What's the value of your estate, by the way? That's, Combined estate. Yeah,
6: it's over 500000
0: Including life insurance.
6: Yeah.
0: Okay. The What you want to do, first of all, is you want to go ahead and have approximately half of your estate, half of your assets in your name and half in his name. And then it's all right to do an I love you will. If the, if your estate was higher, I would say it's not all right. But an I love you will is going to leave everything to your husband. And he can do an I love you will and that'll leave everything to y'all. I mean, to he, he can leave an I love you will that leaves everything to you. Right. And then afterwards, you write in the will that if your husband... Well, if your spouse and he does the same has predeceased you, then you do want uh, any mortgage debts that you have, and you can be very specific. You can specify that it be forgiven. If you don't, you're right. The value of that will come back, and half of that will go to your one of your children. If that's, I presume that after your death, you want your estate to split, be split between the two kids equally? Right. Okay. Uh, you could, if you don't have it forgiven, then half of the amount that's still owing would go to your son, and the other half would automatically be forgiven.
6: Right.
0: So you you can just simply write it into the will or have the attorney write it into the will. Uh, but you do want to make sure that it's done properly.
3: If you need help, call me, Deborah Lewis, 919-872-7000. 919-872-7000. Well,
6: now the the mortgage is registered at the... County, you know, just like a bank mortgage would be, mm-hmm. the paperwork is. Uh huh. So what? How do they? At the time that my husband and I both die, do they take the will down there and say, "Okay, can we have the deed to our home now?"
0: Yes. In other words, it would be it, it, they. They would have to go through the process of having uh, having a clear deed of title, right? And according to the provisions of the will, that's what a real estate attorney would be able to do for you at that time. I see. Because he would basically be marked uh, paid in full. I see. You see what I mean?
6: But there's, then there's no taxes on that forgiveness. Is that correct?
0: Well, income taxes.
6: A state tax.
0: All right, let's think it through now. If they have a debt forgiveness at that time, you know that's an interesting question, Pat. Forgiveness of debt is considered income on your income tax return. On the estate, no, there's nothing. I... But, but at uh, at the time that debt is forgiven, you report income. Hmm. That's an intriguing one. I don't know a way to get around the income tax consequences. In other words, how much is the mortgage right now? Right now, it's forty-three thousand. Forty-three thousand. Uh, You're gonna die next year. I hope not. (laughs) Okay. Well, if you you know you live five or ten years, it's gonna be a smaller and smaller issue. Uh, You'd also want to set it up, by the way, to where it would be a. In other words, if you died tomorrow, both of y'all were you know God forbid killed in a car crash Mm -hmm. tomorrow, then I believe that they would have to report if you had debt forgiveness there, forty three thousand dollars of income, on their income tax return. Mm I would have to do a little research to find out if there's a way you can get around that. That's
6: that's the uh,
0: part that There would not be an estate tax issue.
6: There wouldn't No. Okay.
0: No. And it may be if you call me at my office, I will put you in touch with an estate attorney that can research that for us. Do you have my office number? No, I don't. 8727000. 8727000. That's a very interesting question you're asking. It's the interaction between estate tax laws, income tax laws, and forgiveness of debt. And it's a very interesting question. It really intrigues me. If you'll call me at my office, I'll see about putting you in touch with an estate attorney, or I'll meet with you myself, and we'll see if we can go ahead and solve that one. All right. Pat. Okay, thank you for calling, Pat.
2: Thank you. All
0: right. Bye. Bye-bye now.
2: Well, Doug, Deborah, um, that was an interesting question, and Pat and her husband certainly need an estate plan. And if you have questions about your estate planning, call us at Lewis Financial Management, and we can assist you.
0: Yeah, before we go to the next topic, Linda, I'm I'm, I'm glad you brought it up that way, because not many people understand that in our financial planning that we do at Lewis Financial Management, for every one of our clients that becomes a financial planning client, we include, without extra charge, a complete estate plan. Our estate plan will be not only an analysis, it will be recommendations of what kind of trusts you need or don't need, and it will be a detailed estate plan so that the attorney who does the documents, it's all ready for him. It's all been done. So we include estate planning as a major part of what we do at Lewis Financial Management.
3: Well, you know, that's interesting because we often forget to highlight from maybe listeners who are listening for the first time that comprehensive financial planning is going to provide analysis and uh, all of these key areas that we keep talking about. Yes, we talk about investments, but there's cash flow planning analysis, tax planning analysis, insurance needs analysis, investment analysis, retirement planning analysis, you know, can you retire? What's your financial independence feasibility and just like Doug mentioned, estate planning analysis. This is Deborah Lewis. Our number at the office is 919-872-7000. 919-872-7000. What's new in the world of estate planning?
2: Doug.
0: You know, I am um, I've been considering the world of trusts in second generation and the matter of generational trust is very important because different clients have special purposes for their children, troubled children. A lot of times we have clients that have been with us for 10 or 20 years or they come to us and they're in their 60s or 70s and uh, yes, they've accumulated three, four, five million dollars. Yes, they have. But they're concerned that they have a child who is troubled. And so uh, I like the idea of working with special purpose trusts for adult children who are troubled. Now, special purpose trusts can be used to provide children a semblance of the life they might have enjoyed without any addiction that they might have or mental illness they might have. But these trusts are very complicated and uh, I think they should have a, a place and they should be available to understand that they're a possible solution.
3: Yeah, well, I mean, we see this, and then I was, you know, reading in this article particular that recently where they gave an example of where there was a, a young girl and her parents were, and I shouldn't say she had she had developed the illness in her in her youth and now she was a a middle-aged woman or facing middle-aged life and the parents are aging also and so they were struggling with the financial aspects of her illness but their their concerns went beyond just what insurance would cover and what it wouldn't cover they wanted to know well what about food and apartment and the cat and things that gave her joy when she wasn't troubled And they also needed, you know, to find someone to replace them when they were gone. So knowing that that would be tough, uh, they also, you know, they, they had to deal with that and a lot of other issues that normally when you're talking about inheritance and trusts, you may not have to consider.
2: Yes. Well, there are many painful emotional issues surrounding crisis like mental illness and addiction that affect children, adult children. But there are concrete financial steps that parents can take that won't worsen their child's condition, that won't enable their child's addiction, or in the case of mental illness, run afoul of limitations on the number of assets that a person can have and then still qualify for government benefits.
0: I can think of so many cases through the years where clients of ours uh, have had a troubled child. Their <laughs> child is in their 40s or child in their 50s. Maybe it was drug addiction. Maybe it was alcohol addiction. Uh, maybe it was uh, some emo- some breakdown, but they're really scared. What do I do? I can't just go ahead and leave a huge uh, $3 million, $4 million estate to this 45-year-old child of mine. Uh, and so the starting point is a special purpose trust which can provide care for the suffering child and at the same time give peace of mind for the parent. But when you hear that term special purpose trust, a lot of clients think, oh, that's a special needs trust. No, 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 no. No, these trusts are very different from special needs trusts, which are often used to pay for the extra things needed by receiving government benefits. The government does have strict restrictions on a person's assets, but special purpose trust can be used to provide children a semblance of life that they might have enjoyed if they didn't have this mental illness or this addiction.
3: If you hear something tonight that sounds like your situation, call us. Set up an appointment. We can help you. 919-872-7000. 919-872-7000. You might be working with a situation where with an addictive individual you could have some good years and some bad years. And I think that's what we see in our practice in the in the couple of examples that you're referencing, Doug. You want to make that latitude to make changes with the distributions. You know, people can also use these trusts to shield siblings from feeling bound to care for a troubled sister or brother. And I think that's what really relieves the parent is they know that they can leave a trust, which is a way for this child to receive income, right. after their death right not be a burden on a sibling or another relative right and that they have someone who has latitude and the ability to distribute whatever the child needs and sort of be a a social guardian
0: that's right that's right sometimes i I like that i like that
3: term because it, it you know this is
2: the real world we're we're dealing with you know parents who have spent their lifetime working diligently working hard and then it You know, at the latter stages of life, when you're enjoying retirement, you still have this special need with one of your adult children. And because you love them, and you'll always love them and care for them, but you want to preserve whatever assets there are while you're living so that you can still
3: take care of those needs when you die. That's right. That's right. Special purpose trusts are more complicated to establish, so you need to know something about them. Uh, they give the trustee the re- and the restrictions, uh, they give the trustee latitude and whatever restrictions you would want to place on distributions. Yeah,
0: I'm thinking of a couple of ones that I've done for clients in the past. I, I, sometimes I call them spendthrift trust, where they, maybe there's $2 million sitting in a trust, and the trustee is given latitude. Mm-hmm. The trustee might be uh, an uncle or a sibling. It could be a brother or a sister, but the latitude is to increase the amount that's coming out monthly or to decrease it or to put incentives there. If the child was uh, an alcoholic, if the child went through a AAA program, a AAA program, a, 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 AAA program, a, um, <laughs> yeah. a AA program, Alcoholics Anonymous program, if they've been sober for X that's number right. of months Whatever. and so forth, to increase where where the latitude is given that's to right. increase, but never to go in and dump the whole principle. That's Right, and that's right, and and that's where the special purpose trust can have so much uh, power there. And the hardest part, of course, I found, is setting up in mean, setting up these trusts is getting the parents to accept the fact that they are necessary. Right, doing this means that parents have to acknowledge that their children are never really going to fully recover.
3: Yeah, it requires the parents and often the grandparents to recognize that there's an issue, but the recognition of the issue is a lot tougher with this. Uh, group, but once it's you know, gotten over, it, this really allows um, you know, them to move on because when people are usually dealing with this, it's with a developmentally, de- developmentally disabled person like autism or, or any of the examples that we all know. In, the, in that case, you see it at birth and you just plan accordingly. This is different. Usually there's you know, a stigma that's wrapped around mental illness like uh, schizophrenia or uh, stigma wrapped around drug addiction.
2: So they need to ensure that there is flexibility in any plan and you don't necessarily know what you'll need in the future based on today. But you do need to have distribution advisors for their trust. And a distribution advisor like a social worker with specialized training can assess the child's general well-being. And the key to making all this work is proximity to the person. That's tough for a corporate trustee.
0: Yeah, I don't want a corporate trustee in a trust like this.
2: So even if you're close, you don't have enough time to spend with that person to make the perfect judgment.
0: Yeah, you should write very specific criteria for distributions into the trust documents, like staying on medication or being sober for a certain amount of time. And if those markers are met, then the child might even be able to become co-trustee of the trust. Anyway, I like to encourage people to write a non-binding letter of intent with the purposes of telling future administrators of the trust about the child's history, setting general guidelines, and knowing that you've done the best that you can, uh, I think gives a lot of peace of mind to the parents. I really do. I like the special purpose trust, and I think it's a tool that we will continue to use.
2: You're listening to Money Matters with the Lewis family. That's Doug Lewis, Linda Lewis, and Deborah Lewis on News Radio 680
3: WPTF. This is Deborah Lewis of Lewis Financial Management. Call us at 919 872 7000 to set up an appointment to speak about your situation. 919 872 7000. Okay, Bob, this is Doug Lewis with Money Matters and how can I help you this evening?
1: Okay, um, I found out recently that my uh, mother-in-law is terminally ill and uh, she asked my wife and I to uh, be uh, executors of her state um, and my question is uh, exactly what we should do. I'll give you a little quick background information. Okay. My father-in-law, uh, who's 68, he won't be competent to take care of the affairs and uh, I have a sister-in-law, her, her daughter uh is mentally retarded she's 32 years old so she also is not going to be competent she receives social security and her medical is through social security also uh there's three other children my wife 33 a brother-in-law who's uh 36 and another brother-in-law who's 38 uh my main concerns are uh you know the father and the and my sister-in-law need to be taken care of while my father-in-law is still alive and then eventually um my, my sister-in-law will still need to be taken care of and uh, being that my mother-in-law is terminally ill I was concerned about um, you know the possibility of all her funds being exhausted um, you know to take care of her what
0: is the size of the estate Bob
1: um it's probably between two and three hundred thousand
0: between two hundred and three hundred thousand dollars yeah. all right now have you looked at the will
1: uh, no not really
0: that's very important especially if you and your wife are going to be co-executors okay uh, there's an uh, there's a type of financial planning called pre mortem planning. Okay, I've got a couple of terminally ill patients right now, clients right now, and there are things that need to be done. But you got to find out where the assets are owned, where they're held now, and so forth. Uh and and that's important. And also, what they what your mother, what your mother, your wife's mother wants to do with those assets. Do you know are they left? Well, because you don't know if you haven't seen the will. If it's an I love you will or not.
1: Um, right. Well, she's in the process of. Um you know doing the planning herself also that's that's where we're at we, we really we're you
0: how, know. how capable is she is she cognizant is she very, very
1: capable she's right mentally now. alert yeah the main the main question is is making sure that there's you know there's something left so that the father and the uh, and 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 her daughter can be taken care of and you
0: say he's not he's not competent you're saying right. me- mentally he has a disease right okay it's not a matter of a spendthrift uh, right. situation alright and the sister-in-law is mentally retarded right alright I uh, are these the only assets they hold? they hold together
1: Uh yeah there's you know there's a house that's probably worth 125,000 and then I'm I'm thinking that you know between cash uh, life insurance um, other things there's probably maybe another hundred thousand
0: does he live in the house yes and does he need nursing care Uh no. who takes care of him
1: um, there's there's uh, a that live nearby
0: alright you really need some serious pre-mortem planning how how capable is she in dealing with her situation that she's terminal.
1: Uh, very, very capable.
0: Well, I would recommend you and your wife and she seek professional help. Find a financial planner if you'd like. I'd be happy to go ahead and meet with y'all. I, I had an interesting case that I'm in the middle of working on right now, where he is terminally ill, and his wife and and he have come in and seen me, and we're just dealing with it in a very practical manner. And it's bringing a lot of comfort knowing what's going to happen financially and so forth. But You've got to, first of all, know what about the assets. There are things, for example, step up in basis, all right? Uh, who owns, which assets are owned in his name versus her name?
1: Okay, they're all, they're all jo- jointly owned.
0: All right, that may be the worst thing you can do. Matter right. of fact, that is the worst thing you can do. Right. Because you want to step up in basis if anything has appreciation. Right. How much time do they give her?
1: Uh, probably another six weeks or so.
0: Very close. Very close. Call me Monday. Yeah, you you need you you need to, to move to move quickly. Uh and you need to go ahead and get a copy of the will. Yeah. Uh, because there may be things that you find out afterwards that you wish you'd done. Okay. Uh, but, but yeah. The question of the executor, the question of a trust, if you want a trust set up, then the trustee, who's gonna be the trustee, durable power of attorney, and so on. Right. Uh yeah, this is. The, the, I would say you definitely have a, a a situation that needs professional help right away, and um, I commend you for you know for, for, for calling in about it. Okay, she's here in Raleigh.
1: Uh, no, she isn't.
0: Where is she? Oregon. She's in Oregon.
1: Yes, and I'm going next week.
0: And you're going there. Okay. You might call me at the office during the week before you go, and I'll see either whether we can do teleconferencing or whether I can find an associate there or whether I can do it here totally for you. I, uh, yeah. Okay, what's your number again? 8727000. 727000.
1: Okay, I appreciate the help.
0: Okay, thank you for calling, thank Bob. Bye bye. All right, bye bye now. Well, that's all the money matters we have time for today. So we want to thank all our listeners for joining us. And for any other questions you may have, call my office during the week and we'll set up an appointment to meet with you personally. That number is 919-872-7000. That's 919-USA-7000. And we'll be back next week on this same station at the same time. In the meantime, have a great week. And remember, your money matters because your financial future is at stake.
3: You've been listening to Money Matters with Doug and Linda Lewis. Money Matters provides you with a personal financial hotline on any subject where money really matters. For more information, you can call Doug and Linda in Raleigh at 872-7000. That's USA-7000. Listen again next Sunday at 6.05 for Money Matters with Doug and Linda Lewis on 680-WPTF.